You're listening to the Prof. Joe COVID-19 Aged Care Podcast. If you're an aged care professional, you can connect with us at the Prof. Joe COVID-19 Aged Care Facebook group. Otherwise, you can connect with us at our regular page at Prof. Joe Online. You can also visit our website at profjoe.com.au for a collection of all our links. Also, feel free to email us at info at profjoe.com.au. Welcome. Welcome to the Prof Joe COVID-19 and Aged Care podcast. Sarah, thanks again for joining us. Uh, This time we'll be looking at the yellow category, which people understand is uh, caution or the group where we suspect the person has COVID, but it's not been confirmed. We just want to explore a little bit more in detail. How do we go about A, confirming whether the infection is actually present? Or the second option and the one that we'd all hope for is how do we confirm that the person doesn't have the infection and then can go back to doing things as they usually would? I think the first thing to point out is if you have someone that you've identified as symptoms, then they should be moved into a single room with an ensuite, if at all possible, and that they should be placed in contact and droplet precautions that while we're waiting further testing, even before doing further testing, that we are prioritising the safety of staff and other residents. Ideally, you don't want to cohort at all if you can avoid it. The ideal situation is to have anyone that's confirmed or suspected in a single room. Now, we know that there are limited single rooms in facilities. So there is a hierarchy of who should get those single rooms with the first people being any confirmed cases followed by any suspected cases. And then in a situation where you have both suspected and confirmed cases that you can't manage in single rooms, then you will have to do some cohorting and we don't want to see positive patients that are confirmed to have COVID being cohorted with suspected patients. I often understood cohorting as being everyone is in the same place and that being the same room. So is cohorting when people are sharing a room or is cohorting when you have two or three single rooms all with people with the same condition? Yes, so cohorting refers to both of those scenarios, either cohorting in a same room or cohorting in a region of the facility. And there is advantages for cohorting even if you have everyone in single rooms, an area of your facility where you have the same staff looking after positive patients. And the reason for that is that There are provisions whereby you can wear certain parts of the PPE between positive cases. So from a resourcing point of view for PPE resourcing, cohorting is a good idea and also for protection of the rest of the people in the facility, it's a good idea. So we'll be looking at the issue of uh, personal protective equipment a little bit later. One of the lessons then for me is We need to be very precise and ask the question when people mention the word cohorting, 
whether they're talking about a single room or not, and then talking about whether you have a cluster of single rooms because that's a more efficient use of staff time and resources. My greatest fear is that people will assume that cohorting means that you are putting you know, people that you've categorised as yellow and red uh, in the same space. Yeah, so I should point out you cannot share PPE if you're in a suspected cohort. You have to change your PPE between suspected patients because you just don't know which of them are going to convert to positive and which of them are going to convert to negative. Yeah, the only scenario where you could possibly share any PPE would be between the confirmed positive and also in that scenario, you have to change your gloves between each positive patient. And if you've contaminated any other part of your PPE, the gown, the mask, the goggles, then that basically has to be exchanged as well. So if you've touched your mask, that needs to be taken off and a new one has to be applied between patients. If you've visibly contaminated yourself with any secretions, that also needs to have a change even within the positive cohort group. So the three zones really have very different requirements and you can't just take what you know from one zone into the other. They're really the green and zone at the moment does not require any form of PPE. That is debatable about whether we should all be using masks. Again, it becomes a resource issue where perhaps in the ideal situation we should for every nursing home patient, every hospitalised patient, be putting masks on when we review them. But we have a limited stock, so we have to draw the line somewhere. And so it's for the patients that are most at risk that we would be doing that. I think, Sarah, if we now go back to the far more technical aspects around testing, could you take us through how you would approach the suspected case? What tests would be done when and why? The test that we are recommending is a a PCR where we're actually trying to detect the RNA of the virus from nose and throat specimens. So it entails doing a swab of both nostrils and also the throat and that can be done with a single swab and then it gets run through a machine that picks up if any of the viral RNA is present. There are other tests that are in development and have actually come on the market, which are serological tests, and that is not detecting the virus per se, but the body's immune response to the virus, in particular the IgM and the IgG antibodies that are specific to that virus. There is a window before those tests become positive to allow time for the body to generate those antibodies. And at the moment, the reason that we're not using the rapid serologic test is that we wouldn't want to miss that window where the patient is positive and infectious but has not developed the immune antibodies that are picked up on the serological test. So... For the moment, we are recommending actual detection of the virus as a means of confirming infection. The test, like all tests, 
have some inherent issues in that it's not 100% sensitive, which means that you could have the virus and miss it with a swab and it's uncertain exactly what the sensitivity of the test is because we're still early in the pandemic and this test and the virus itself was only developed in January this year. So we haven't got a long track record like we have with other PCR assays. In that sense, for very high-risk people, it could be considered to a second test before you rule out COVID-19. Thanks for that, Sarah. It's clear that the level of decision-making and the complexity requires knowledgeable medical input at that stage. In one way, it's easier to confirm a case with the test, and so they would then move from the yellow zone to the red zone. How do we confidently say a person that we have suspected has COVID-19 and is in the yellow zone, how do we move them back to the green? At what point would you be confident to say that our initial suspicions turned out to be not an infection? It's a really good question and I think it's a very practical one that we're still grappling to know the best approach to. So, for example, in the more non-specific group of symptomatology, like the delirium, if they then developed clear evidence of a urinary tract infection, either from a urine sample or blood sample that was taken, That would make you feel more confident that your initial test of COVID negativity was accurate. It's not 100% even in that scenario, however, because you can have dual diagnoses and that is something that we have observed overseas. Let's consider a case now where a person has developed shortness of breath. We've moved them from green to yellow it turns out that we think that it was because of their heart failure and and that's been treated and their symptoms have resolved. When can I with confidence say, or can I ever say that they don't have COVID and can get back to doing the things they were normally doing before? I think it's not unreasonable to still do one swab in that patient while you're doing the workup for their heart failure and and instituting management for their heart failure. But they would technically meet the definition if they presented with shortness of breath, even without a fever. And so it would be ideal to have one negative swab before they were de-isolated. I'd probably recommend that if there was any doubt, just to discuss it with a doctor rather than just make the decision at the level of the nursing home staff. So Sarah, I guess go to the case now where a large number of people are going to get COVID positive and then have a mild form of the illness. So if somebody goes into yellow, they then go into red and get confirmed. At what point are they able to de-escalate back to green? So it depends on the local guidelines. And the first thing I would point out is that no one can be cleared from COVID precautions if they are positive unless it's been run past the local public health authorities. So in Victoria, it's the DHHS. So if we have a hospitalised positive patient, 
we cannot clear them out of isolation until we have got the approval of our public health authority. So I would assume that that would be the same for other states and territories as well. In Victoria at the moment, you have to be a febrile for three days, symptom-free for two, and at least 10 days from the start of your illness. And sorry, sorry, just to confirm, once you've got that, you then get sign-off from the public health official? Yes. Or if you were thinking about de-isolating earlier, you would need to get sign-off from the public health official. But even once you meet all those criteria, you have to get a sign-off from your public health local group, yeah. All right, one more scenario there. So we have a resident who develops acute OT symptoms and tests negative to COVID, then recovers and is feeling better and is back to normal. Maybe has a second swab and that's negative as well. Okay to go back after 10 days and not febrile for two days and asymptomatic for three days. Is that right? Is that what you would say to that? Yes. If you have an alternative diagnosis come up in that situation like influenza, then they need to stay isolated because of the influenza. So it's not 100% clear cut, but if you don't have influenza or COVID, then you don't need to keep isolating. I appreciate the time you've spent with us, Sarah. The situation is far more complicated than even I thought. The message to the aged care facilities is that it's vital that the doctors be involved, particularly at the yellow stage in terms of determining whether COVID is uh, has caused an infection or not. And it becomes even more important to have both the doctor and the public health officer involved when someone has tested positive before they come out of isolation. My concern in aged care is that access to medical practitioners at the best of times can sometimes be a struggle and we found ways to adjust and adapt to that. The COVID-19 pandemic is the time where we have to strictly apply and insist on getting the help, the medical support that we need to clear these cases. It is not the responsibility of the aged care staff to make those decisions. There are clear protocols, clear lines of reporting and authority that must be followed. That's correct. The only thing that I might add is that if you have a suspected case and you can get your hands on a pathology slip that is pre-signed, the earlier we can get the testing done, if you have someone in the facility that can do the testing, then the quicker we can get either a positive or negative result and move people in the right direction. So if there are people that feel comfortable with doing the swab in the facility, then it would be great to get that done as soon as possible. Yeah, and one like, a little point there to add on is, I guess anyone doing a swab needs to be confident about doing it safely. So they need to ensure that they have the correct training for that to protect themselves. Yeah, the correct training and the correct PPE. And just to reinforce that, I think now's the time for action and we're far better to act and find out that it wasn't needed in the end than to regret that we didn't act soon enough. Sarah, thanks again for joining us. 